Welcome to the Apartment Operators Podcast, where you can learn from experienced operators what it really means to be an apartment operator. No fluff, no sugarcoating, just the raw, unfiltered truth of the ups and downs of operating multifamily communities. Welcome, everybody, to the Operators Podcast. My name is Joseph Gosline, and with me, we have Jeff Greenberg today. Uh, Jeff is a very experienced operator of multifamily. Jeff, why won't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, um, I'm glad to be here today. Um, I've been doing the multifamily for about 11 years now. I'm involved in over a thousand units. Uh, we've, uh, we're involved in over $70 million worth of properties at this time. I'm also doing uh, student housing as well. That's fantastic. We'll definitely dive into that one a little bit later. Uh, so we usually like to um, ask a little bit about what your criteria, what is your preference? Uh, you mentioned student housing, is that still your preferred asset or are you looking at other things these days? Uh, we're looking at both student housing and multifamily assets, um, mainly value adds. It's just the, with the student housing, um, we have found that it's easier for people to make mistakes and if we can pick up properties where they have issues and we can fix them, then there's an advantage in that. Okay. A lot of our audience is trying to figure out if they're going to use third-party property management or self-manage. Uh, which way did you go? Oh, we went third-party. We don't, we don't want to self-manage our properties. And why is that? Um, I'm in California and my properties are all out of state. And I want the property manager to be the first one to respond. And we typically, if there's a, an issue, we'll hear about it. Uh, a little later, we'll hear about what they've already been doing to resolve it, and if they need some further help or advice from us, they'll contact us, but we're not the first responders. That makes sense. Uh, so uh, let's go back to when you started working with third-party property management, or even today when you buy a new property in an area where you don't already have presence, how do you select a third-party property manager? What is important for you? What is um, the characteristic you're looking for in a company that you want to hire? Well, the thing is we do go in and uh, we get uh, referrals as much as we can and we interview uh, quite a few property management companies. Uh, once we narrow it down, we'll go out and, and visit with them and talk to them and make sure there's an alignment of, of interest. Uh, we want to make sure that we feel comfortable that they're going to do the best for the property and they're willing to work with us. They're flexible. Uh, as well as gets the kind of reports that we need. Uh, definitely need um, reporting. Typically we have uh, weekly reports as well as monthly and quarterly reports and we want to make sure that they're on the same page. Okay, so questions you would ask in an interview, things that would make you immediately disqualify a property management company. Is there a specific size you're looking for? Give us a little bit more detail. Well, we want someone that's uh, that their specialty or their niche is the property type or the property size that we're doing. Uh, with the student housing, we will only take management companies that specialize in student housing. That's a, a very specific niche. Same with C properties, workforce housing. Uh, we don't want somebody that their specialty is a B-class property. We want somebody that specializes in C-class properties. Uh, we're also concerned about uh, management companies that maybe that are very large. Um, I have an issue typically with, you know, being a, a small fish in their large pond that sometimes they don't take care of you. 
On the other side of it, you get a property management company that's too small. Can they handle uh, your property? Do they have enough uh, depth that if they have to remove some employee or somebody leaves or whatever, are they gonna have coverage? So I wanna make sure that they're experienced, that they do have a sufficient depth, but I prefer typically with the smaller property management companies. So the Goldilocks, right? Not too big, not too small. What is, what is the right size for you, right? 2,000 units, 200 units, 6,000 units. We'll give us a little bit of a range. Well, I'm, I can't say that I have a range in there. It, it depends on the experience of the management company. Right now, I'm working with a company that just started their own company, but the owner of the company has 30 years of experience, and her daughter, who's the regional, has 12 years of experience, both with very large uh, companies. They're just starting out on their own, but they have a huge amount of experience, but don't have a lot of doors right now. Understood. Okay, so experience matters more. The experience matters more than the number of doors that they're working. Okay, yeah, so from my experience, it's a lot about chemistry as well. Uh, you gotta make sure that whoever you're working with kind of fits with your style, fits with what you're asking for, fits with your pace, right? So if you're an owner or operator that is high-paced, very dynamic, have to move fast, and you'll have to work with a regional or a property management owner that is a slow pace, calculated, let's stop and think about everything, it'll drive you crazy, right? And the other way around, if you're the kind of guy that is very analytical and needs everything thought out and planned ahead of time, and you're dealing with a highly dynamic, fast-moving property management company, that would also put you in a very uncomfortable situation. Mm-hmm. So uh, um, it's really important that you have a good chemistry with whoever is going to be your point of contact in that property management. Do you agree? Absolutely. And, and in addition to that, it's I want someone that is not so set in their ways that they're not willing to make adjustments for our needs. Um, if it's either in some kind of form that we need uh, adjusted or just some kind of method, methodology that they'll be flexible enough and um, work with us as far as making our, our needs, uh, taking care of our needs. Absolutely. Um, no, that's great. So going to third party property management route uh, means that you focus mainly on asset management. Yes. Right? Uh, you mentioned earlier that you ask your property management company give you a weekly, monthly, quarterly report. Um, everybody gets you the financials, the T12, the rent roll, the, the yeah, balance sheet and so on. Is there anything special that you introduced into the relationship with the property management that um, is a special kind of report, uh, specific parameters that you guys are tracking? Um, well, I don't know that our requests are that uncommon, but typically it's the weekly report that's one of the most important. You know, how many, a lot of the lease-up information as far as how many people came in the doors, what method they they used to, to find the property, how quickly they were um, uh, met with somebody uh, from the team, um, if there was an application, if there was a tour, those kind of things that we like to know about to see how efficiently they're running the, the office, especially when we're in a lease-up stage or uh, we're in a turnaround, we wanna make sure that we're getting the leases, we're getting the conversions. And then also on the maintenance end of it, uh, how quickly, um, how many maintenance requests we're getting, how many, how quickly they're getting turned around. 
we're, we need to keep satisfied customers and so we want to make sure the maintenance is taken care of. Yeah, so I didn't mention to our audience, but you and I are today in Denver, Colorado in the multifamily boardroom, which is a mastermind for multifamily owners. And in the last day or so, we've been hearing a lot of software and tools that people use for their asset management. Uh, are you using any of those tools? Is there any piece of software that you introduced into your organization to help you with the operations side of things? Um, not really. Um, we use, I, there's communication tools that we use, but that's mainly it. You know, with Zoom, we get on Zoom calls with our property management company, as well as with our asset manager um, to see what's going on. We do a lot of taking pictures of new construction so we can see what's going on. And uh, the internet is just, you know, uh, a great resource as far as being able to communicate. Okay, well, great. Um, so, um, how many doors do you currently have under your control? Um, we're, I have, I have uh, 300 doors that are under my control. I'm also an LP on another 700 doors. Okay, great. And so doors. And, and I know you had a lot more than you sold recently. Yeah, I sold, right? I sold off um, a bunch of stuff, yeah. So, uh, with uh, this many doors, how does your organization look like? Is it a one-man show? Do you have people working with you? Do you have people working for you? Um, help our audience understand a little bit about the operations side. Well, I have some people mainly working with me. I do have uh, a partner that uh, we work together on most of most of the stuff. Um, but it's it's mostly my my show. I do have people um, going and uh, finding deals for me, and I have people bringing deals that uh, they need help getting closed, and so we partner up. But uh, it's pretty much a small operation. Okay, and that's pretty common and from what we've been talking to other uh, operators recently. Uh, okay, so now let's switch a little bit and talk technical, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, you do a lot of value add. Uh, give our audience maybe two, three ways where you guys have to increase income that is not the obvious increase rates. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, obviously the big ones are the increased rents and the increased occupancy, but also on uh, management efficiencies, uh, finding ways to do things, you know, uh, more economically, the water saving type of stuff. Um, uh, as far as other unique things, offhand, I'm not, I'm not sure that we do anything differently. Um, we do, one of the things we're gonna be initiating uh, in the Amarillo uh, property possibly is, is um, the uh, covered parking, covered parking rents, um, maybe some vending, but uh, other than that, you know, it's mostly the typical stuff. Okay, uh, and, and you mentioned the other side of the NOI, right? Our expenses. Uh, exactly. Uh, that's as important as increased income, because every dollar you increase in income, is absolutely equal to every dollar you save in operations because uh, the math is simple. NOI is income less expenses. So um, two, three things you guys do for uh, um, uh, saving costs. I heard you do water conservation, mm -hmm. right? Uh, what does that include for you guys? Well, that includes the, the aerators and uh, the showers and the faucets, as well as the, uh, the low flow toilets. Um, so we're doing, that's on the water con conservation. But we really scrutinize. I have a uh, construction manager 
as well as the asset manager that are uh, definitely scrutinizes uh, all of our expenses as far as um, any kind of repairs. They're, you know, we're getting multiple bids and making sure that the uh, contractors stay on stay on uh, their bids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very important. And yeah, following that closely and and don't put up with all the extra expenses. Okay, yeah, that's great. Um, so, um, going back a little bit, if you could go back in time to when you started this thing, mm-hmm. right, what would be the best advice you would give to Jeff from that time? <laughs> um, fire your management company quickly when there's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't, don't hang on. Uh, and think that they're going to improve. Um, typically, that's not going to happen. If things I'm going to dig into that one. If, if things go wrong, it's probably going to get worse. Tell us the horror story. <laughs> well, I mean, the one, it happened to have been a, a guy that I be, had become friends with. He was my actual, my broker. This was on a small property, 20-unit property. And um, he, was my, he also was my property manager. Well, first of all, small properties with a broker that doesn't exclusively do property management is a mistake in itself. Uh, that's not where they're making their money. And he was losing money uh, actually working for me because his office was 35 miles away from the property. So he was very loose on who he let in. And in a 20 unit property, we let it get down to where uh, we were finally had six units vacant on a 20-unit property. Wow, that's a lot. And we, that finally forced us to, to fire them. I mean, there were other signs um, where we were getting um, tenants in there that didn't belong in the property. This was a, a B-plus property. It was three-year-old property. Wow. It was down the block from a hospital, and he was letting tenants in there that, that didn't belong, but they had the deposit and they had the first month rent, and so we took them, even though they, they were inappropriate for the property. So he wasn't screening well. He was not screening well. Um, he was also uh, killing off all of my plans to automate different things, where I had I set up an automatic system, or a system where the people, uh, the tenants could pay um, very easily, either go to the local bank, or they could do it online, and he started going there and, and collecting money face to face and it made him waste time he had to go down there to it at least three times because people went there on the collections and i'm sitting there you know this is just a waste and not only that now they're not going to use my system because you're showing up um it was just you know so we're still friends and he still brought me other deals but i said i would never use him as a property manager um and we went through a couple others uh, prior to getting the one that we finally used for for the next three years until we sold the property. Okay. Yeah, sometimes you take a little bit of trial and error until you find the right yeah. fit. Uh, and and it, it really circles back to what you said earlier. you got to find the property management that fits the niche, that fits the property, right? If it's a smaller, mm-hmm. nicer property, you can't hand it over to someone that handles single families or somebody that handles a C-class or somebody that is doing student housing, right? So you just gotta find the right fit for for that property. Um, uh, Touching again on the student housing a little bit, um, give us a few things where student housing is unique and it's not like multifamily, because I try to help people understand that student housing is its own animal. 
uh, even though it's multifamily, but it doesn't behave the same, it doesn't work the same, mm -hmm. you don't have the same kind of people. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of things about student housing that are different. Um, to start with, um, you have a very short time window as far as when you need to get the properties lined, uh, leased up. If you don't, if you miss that window, you may have vacancies for the whole year. It's not like multifamily where, okay, you don't get something leased up this month, well, you'll do it next month. Um, if you don't get that into that window. Now, each school typically has a different window. I have three different properties in three different states or three different schools and the windows are different. And it goes so, based on when school starts, right? Well, not so much. Um, my, my Ohio property, I know that we need to have at least up by March, otherwise we're gonna be struggling. Okay, March prior to the August semester. Uh, my, my Georgia property, my Fort Valley property, that property I could lease up all the way to the August, even though I'm already, I'm already filled, completely filled up. Um, because I don't know if it's the demographics that maybe don't plan as well, mm -hmm. because I've got a low-end demographic in Georgia and I got a very high-end demographic in Ohio. So they plan a little bit better. I don't know if that's part of it or not, but the time is real important. The other thing is, is the marketing. You can't just rely on putting it up on Craigslist or apartments.com and expect to get students. You've got to have a website up there. You have to have a presence on the campus. Um, there's a lot of things that you need to do. And many property, most property management companies aren't prepared for that. They're not able to dedicate the amount of time necessary for the marketing end of it. That's a big piece of it. The other thing is, is we rent a lot of the properties we're renting by the unit. And we try to do um, uh, roommate matching. Mm -hmm. Most property management companies aren't set up for that kind of stuff. Yeah, they're not. They're not going to sit there and interview the kids to see what you know how how well they're going to fit together. So that's that's another specialty area. Um, I suppose those are the big ones. Well, also, well, I guess when you're purchasing the property, what's important is not just the the market, but the location to the school, and you're looking. Um, you're doing a lot more due diligence on the school as opposed to the community. Um, I have a property in Oxford, um, Oxford, Ohio, and there's no city. I mean, it's a, that basically the that community is twenty thousand people with eighteen thousand students. Um, your Cincinnati's forty five minutes away. Dayton's an hour away. So, evaluating the uh, job growth of that city or the cities around it really doesn't make sense. Yeah. That's right. It's the school. How well is the school doing? Um, what is the percentage of um, units that the school has where the kids could be on campus? Mm -hmm. What percentage do they have? How close is the property to the, to the school? As well as amenities. And if enrollment is going up a year over year it, and so on. Absolutely. Yeah, the health of the school. Um, how is it to work with millennials and Gen Z, right? Because that's pretty much who's a student these days, mm -hmm. right? The millennials and Gen Z. Is there any uh, um, special ways you have to handle um, work orders or any special amenities you have to provide? Uh, um, give us a little bit of that. Well, the internet is, is crucial. Your Wi-Fi go down, goes down and your internet goes down and the world has stopped because everything is, is based on, on the internet. I mean, they're watching 
their videos, you know, on the internet. I mean, they're doing it on the phone also, but if it's on their computers. Uh, so if internet goes down, you've got that definite issue. Um, the uh, location to the campus or location to the bar district is real important. Yeah, uh, yeah one, or, one or the other will get you get your points as far as being close to one or the other. If you're far away from both, you know, then that, that's an issue. Uh, it's, it's good if you're near a bike path because a lot of times the, the students will ride their bikes on campus and stuff. Um, the, you know, it's, it's um, as far as the millennials, um, they have a high expectation of, um, of your response, level of service, your response. Yeah, they're, they're pretty demanding as far as expectations. But that's, that's why you have a management company that knows how to handle that, you know, that type of uh, young adult. Yeah, and I spoke to other operators that deal with communities that are uh, focused on millennial residents. And while they are demanding a higher level of service, uh, from other people's experience, they say that they're also willing to pay for that. So you can get usually higher rents from millennial-based communities if you provide that level of service. Have you met that um, kind of situation? Um, they, well, the, the dealing with the millennials mainly is you know, in the student housing. And you know, they, they have an expectation of service, definitely. And, and we, had, we had one student that felt that she was above the, the level of our, of our particular property and decided you know, just to break her lease and just take off. But, you know, I mean, it's, um, so there's a high expectation, especially in the, the higher demographics. Um, it's a whole different thing, I think, in the lower end demographics, where they totally appreciate everything you do for them. So, so it's not just the age group, it's also, you know, I think, uh, the economic demographics. That makes sense. Um, one last funny story. We all have one of those from your entire experience. <laughs> um, okay, um, I was just talking to my property manager about this one the other day, um, where we uh, uh, found little um, pockmarks in one of the units uh, in the hardwood floor. And we were trying to figure out what they were from. And it was about four feet back from the mirror. And there was a small area in the front of the mirror and it looked as if somebody was wearing stilettos, <laughs> stiletto heels and walking back and forth. But the only thing is, is that unit was male. Okay. So that was that was rather interesting. Okay. <laughs> uh, this industry will bring you a lot of interesting stories. Uh, well, Jeff, I want to say thank you so much uh, for taking this uh, podcast with us and uh, for being such a great friend. I appreciate that. Well, thank you, Joseph. It was great. <laughs>